0: We are going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 5 this morning, and uh, we are continuing in our series uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, and you'll notice a couple interesting things about the way Jesus preaches this message. You see, he started off by uh, talking about attitudes. In the Beatitudes, he talks about interior motivations for how we deal with adversity, for how we deal with persecution, for how we deal with a, a kind of a passion for purity. And then he moves into a section where he issues commands. Not internal, but external. He's dealing with different things to, thank you, Scott, making sure I'm not going to fall here. That's good. We don't need another broken leg. Um, He moves into these commands where he's dealing with things that are external. So he's joining internal motivation to external action. And the very first command that he has is take God's word seriously. In Matthew 5, 17 through 20, he says, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And then he enters into these, you've heard, but I say statements. And he talks about a variety of things. And one of the things that is, I think, really enlightening is when you line up what Jesus has to say here with what God said through Moses and the Ten Commandments, you see some interesting parallels. So take a peek at this chart here. Um, the Ten Commandments start off with the first four commandments being all related to God. Uh, no idolatry, no graven images, um, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. Jesus summarizes all of that in his command to take God's word seriously. So everything about God is summed up in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, where Jesus is not one jot, not one tittle. It's all going to be fulfilled. But then he moves on. The only one of the Ten Commandments, not in the Sermon on the Mount, is commandment number five, which is honor your father and mother. But Jesus deals with that explicitly. You see it listed there in Matthew 15, Three through nine. It's almost like he separates that one out because he knows he needs to do extra work with kids those, in those days. Because kids back then, they were disrespectful, and did listen to their parents. Nothing like kids today. And so um, he, he calls that one out. And so you see in the totality of Jesus' teaching, he deals with that. But then right through the rest, he deals with all of these in the Beatitudes. Uh, he, in Exodus 20, 13, he says, don't murder. And Matthew says, it's not just about murder. It's about the intention of your heart. Are you hateful? Because if you hate, you're hateful. Your intention is to hurt someone, just like murder is intention to hurt someone. He says adultery. He says it's not just about the physical act. Lustful looking is just as bad as the physical consummation. Two different sins. And if you commit adultery, you have already committed the lustful look, so you sin twice. He says, "Listen, stay far away from it." He talks about stealing and coveting. That's really, I think, kind of analogous to what he talks about about divorce. Divorce, especially if it's a married woman, is stealing someone else's spouse. And it's coveting something that doesn't belong to you. And then today, we come to our words. In the ninth commandment, he says, you shall not not bear false witness. And he talks about the truth of our words. Now, when we talk about the whole issue of interior motivation versus exterior action, your words... um, On the printed page, they're not invisible, but once they leave your lips, they're not invisible. Don't you ever have you ever said anything and you wish you could grab it? Like, oh my, I shouldn't have said that. Your words are visible, your words will leave a mark. And Jesus is dealing very explicitly with a command to be truthful in our speech. What I love about this is Jesus is not so much in, intensifying or reinterpreting the Old Testament as much as he's saying what it originally was intended to do in the first place. And just we have messed it up. So here's the problem. When we talk about this command to be totally truthful in everything that we say, the problem is that this lack of truthfulness completely pervades our society. There was an advertising agency, which um, I think that's kind of odd that we go to an advertising agency to tell us the truth about anything, but an advertising agency did this massive survey of the American people. And here's what they find out found out. 91% of Americans Americans confess that they lie regularly. Regularly. 20% said that they could not get through a day without continuing a previously manufactured lie. So they lied about something yesterday and they got to keep it going today. Ever been there? You better have a good memory. And if you are a 91% who's lying every day, you probably have a lot of stories. You've got to keep going. <clears throat> the average American, this one shocked me. The average American is exposed to 200 lies daily. 200 lies. Now, that is white lies, omissions, advertising, biased media coverage, personal conversation. The average American can only detect the truth 54% of the time. You're duped. People are lying to you. Uh, listen, and it's not just interpersonal issues. We lie to everybody. 86% of the time, we lie to our parents. And that's not just for little kids, that's for big kids too. We lie to our parents. 75% of the time, we lie to our friends. 73% to our siblings, our spouses, 69% of the time. But it affects business. Uh, fraud investigators say that on average, fraud costs 5% of a business's revenue. So you know what that means? Because people lie. The people that you buy things from jack their price up because they're going to cover their losses. They're not going to pay for fraud. You are. And so because of that, prices go up. 78% of resumes contain misleading information. I'm just going to round that GPA up a little bit. No one has ever hired me because of my GPA. Why in the world would you lie about your GPA? You know, graduated, lordy, how come? You know, um, whatever it is. You know, it's not just bad for business. 78% of resumes contain misleading information. You know what's even worse? Online dating. You date online, everybody lies. I mean, where they went to school, how much money they make, how much they weigh, how tall they are. I mysteriously went from 5'9 to 6'3 on eHarmony. I mean, love it. That's great. And so it's a mess. The University of Massachusetts conducted a, a research project and basically, here's their conclusion. 60% of adults can't have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. Now you sit there and you go, no way. A 10-minute conversation without lying once. Here's what they found. They videotaped the conversations, made them rewatch it, and they said, we want you to be honest, which seems self-defeating, and we want you to tell everything that was not completely true in that conversation. You know what they found out? That the average American told three Half truths, white lies, over exaggerations in that 10 minute conversation. Three, it's all over the place. Most of the lies that we tell are not super important. They're simply done to make us look better, to make us more likable. But we lie about important stuff too. And it's not just a a gender issue. Women lie about different things that men lie about. You know what women lie about? No, don't start laughing. The punchline isn't even there yet. Weight and hair color. How can you lie about hair color? Because it was this color yesterday. Is this color today? Something happened, and Jesus didn't do it. You know, <laughs> you can't lie about that. Oh, nice haircut. Um, what do men lie about? How much money they got? What kind of education? What kind of work experience they got? They make their job sound more exotic. Oh, well, uh, you know, I'm sanitation engineer. You got an engineering degree? No, I'm just garbage man, you know. Um, so it happens. Maybe you're kind of like the teen that got locked out and knew, knew that you don't bother Dad at work. I mean, I knew that. You know, if I called Dad at work, um, my dad loved me, he cared for me, but if I called Dad at work, I better be sick, there better be something really wrong. And so there was a teenager who got locked out of her car. Keys are in the car. So she calls Dad, and she knows, man, I don't need to do this, but I can't go anywhere. And keys are in there. The car's locked up. Dad's got to come all the way across town to come unlock me. Help me out. About 10 minutes after she makes a phone call, she looks and she finds that the back passenger, uh, back passenger door is unlocked. So what's she do? You got it! She locks it! <laughs> Boom! Locks it! See, Dad, I told you. It was all locked up. Because it was more worth it to lie than to come clean with the truth what would happen with that teenager? She said, dad, you won't believe this. I called you and then I found out it was locked. He'd say, do a better job next time, but you know what? It's happened to me too. <clears throat> Here's the problem. In our day and age, it seems like <laughs> we have a whole vocabulary for this. We are more accepting of exaggerations, falsifications, fabrications, misstatements, misrepresentations. Depends on what your definition of is is. Glossovers, quibbles, concoctions, equivocations, shuffles, prevarication, trims of the truth, shades of the truth than ever before. So we have to wonder, anytime we ever have a conversation, how do we know if somebody's telling us the truth? And it's no better in the church than it is outside of the church because human nature is the same. One cynic actually said that if everyone, business, government, education, religion, families. If everyone told the truth at the same time, our way of life would come crashing to a halt. Yeah, you're an A student. When everyone's an A student, ain't nobody an A student. We have a problem. And we don't tend to think of ourselves as liars. And the minute we say that, we have just set ourselves in opposition to what the Word of God clearly says. Now, you may not be a perverse liar, you may be a white liar. It's a lie. And so we're going to see something in, in God's word today that I think is helpful, and Jesus tells us that our words matter. Jesus reemphasizes truth-telling by telling us in our passage today the truth about oaths and vows. And so we're in Matthew 5 verses 33 through 37. Listen to what, listen to what Jesus says.) <clears throat> Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Neither should you swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your word yes be yes, and let your no be no. Anything more than this is from thee. Evil one. Well, Jesus starts out here in verse 33 by um, condoning the use of oaths and vows. He says, you've heard it said, don't break your oath, keep your oaths to the Lord. And so we're seeing here that oaths and vows were explicitly allowed in the Old Testament. Now, there's a variety of ways that we can look at this. Three quick lines of evidence to see that oaths and vows are okay. Number one, the provision of God. The provision of God. Uh, You may want to write these scripture passages down. Leviticus 19, 12. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. and Deuteronomy 23, 21. God says, when you put my name in the question, you had better not lie. If you're calling me as a witness, you'd better tell the truth. He says, do not swear falsely in my name. God's in the equation now. So he is condoning these. He says, it's okay. God has provided four oaths in his name, you just better make sure you tell the truth. Swear to God. Really? You can. You just better tell the truth. Number two, the response of Jesus. You remember what they say about Jesus whenever he was um, before the Jewish high court, before Caiaphas, the high priest. Um, It says that he was silent as a sheep before his shearers. He's being accused of all these things and he is humbly silent and then caiphas says i adjure you by the god of heaven are you the king of the jews he invokes an oath and he invokes god's name and what does jesus do he's not silent anymore he says it is as you say jesus responded to an oath he was quiet when he was just talking to men but when god's name was invoked he said it's true It is just what you say. And then, thirdly, there is the example of the saints. All kinds of people swore in God's name and it was a good thing. Abraham swore in God's name to prove his truthfulness. David swore in God's name to prove his truthfulness. God swore in his own name. Who does God swear by? Himself. And so when he makes the promise to Abraham that I will bless you and multiply you and make your descendants like the sand of the sea or the stars of the heavens, he says, I I promise that this is true by my name. He swears an oath. And so listen, God doesn't have to swear an oath because his word is questionable. He puts himself on the line because this issue is of such special importance that he says, truly, truly, I say to you, by my own honor, by my own character, I am telling you the truth. Now, he gave parameters for these oaths in God's name because he knew that we would need them. Because you know what? Our normal everyday conversation is full of what? Lies and half-truths. So he gave us an out to have a way to really kind of say, in our house, it's honest-honest. If you're telling a story and we think you're telling a story, I go, honest-honest? They say, honest-honest. And they're, all right, all right, yep. Yeah. All right, I believe you ran a marathon in 45 minutes. Yeah, okay, you said honest, honest. There was a way to kind of check people, and it was oaths in God's name. Here's the thing that's funny. It doesn't matter how passionately you swear an oath. It doesn't matter, you know, if you name the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The words that you use are not important because the truth always comes down to the trustworthiness of the person saying the words. Isn't that right? A liar who swears in God's name chances are he's probably still a liar. And so God made these provisions, but the emphasis was always on truthfulness. And so as we see what Jesus is telling us in this command, it's kind of odd because last week we looked at his commands related to sexuality in marriage, and he talked about how lustful looking is wrong. And there there is such a thing as unjustified divorce. Here's what he's saying now. I mean, the next passage is on truthfulness. And so he's saying your mundane, everyday speech is just as much a matter of discipleship as is sexuality and marriage. So would you put your normal, everyday conversation on the same level as issues like lust, adultery, and divorce? You see, Jesus' form, Jesus' school of discipleship is not just about the big things. It is about every little thing that makes you who you are. <clears throat> Here's the problem. The people in Jesus' day had contradicted the divine design by creating a convenient distortion. <clears throat> the people in Jesus' day had contradicted the divine design by creating a convenient distortion you can see from what jesus said in the passage they were swearing by heaven and they were swearing by earth and they were swearing by jerusalem and swearing by their head they had created this whole elaborate system of apparent of apparent integrity these guys are taking oaths they're making vows but they were actually fully and intentionally duplicitous they were telling lies they were hiding behind the sign of, hey, I've made a vow, I've made an oath, so it looks like I'm being truthful. But they had no intention of fulfilling it because they could say, you know what? I didn't do it in God's name. I'm okay. So we see this example in kind of two ways in our own life, okay? <clears throat> this is a, it's a false story illustration. It's not true. Um, but let's say grandma's made some biscuits. I'm not talking to like from a can talking biscuits mmm buttery big fluffy and flaky And by hungry they're good I mean these are grandma's biscuits not not Cracker Barrel not, not Hardee's none of those this is good homemade stuff and she made one for everybody and Caleb happens to be the last one to come down to um, breakfast that morning and he comes up and there are no more biscuits So he goes, Chloe, did you eat my biscuit? And Chloe goes, I was watching TV. I didn't ask you if you were watching TV. I asked you, did you eat my biscuit? Well, Grandma lives right around the corner. You can go get more. of. I know I can go get more. Yes or no. Did you eat my biscuit? What do we do? We evade the question. Now, you know, you've got to be kind of skilled to do that. You've got to have mad skills, kind of know where that's going to go. Have you ever evaded a question? Have you known what someone is asking you? They're asking you a yes or no question, and you, like, start talking about foreign policy in Iraq or something like that. <laughs> you have something else. You're not going to go there. Why? You are not a truth teller. I'm picking on kids this morning, <clears throat> but I remember this from the playground. I used to do this. I don't know what they do now. You know, my kids talk about pinky promise. I guess if your pinky's touch, there's like fairy dust that makes you tell the truth if you do that. I don't know what it is. But you get a kid that says, hey, you know, you're my BFF. You're my best friend. And then like the next day, they're like talking about each other. I'm like, hey, I thought you were my BFF. And the kid does this. Got my fingers crossed. Doesn't count. And that's what they were doing back in Jesus's day. They had created this system where they could make all the oaths and vows that they wanted, but if it wasn't in God's name, it didn't count. So I swear on my mother-in-law's life, I'm telling you the truth. Don't count on it. (laughs) I swear on the life of my rodent puppy, rat dog, on my cat. Who was it that wanted to get rid of their cat this morning? Somebody wanted to get rid of their cat. If that person makes a vow in the name of their cat, you know they're not telling the truth. And so we come up with all of these examples of kind of looking like we're telling the truth by evading the question, proverbially crossing our fingers. And so this system that God had designed for truthfulness, oaths in his name, became a cover for clever lies. And so they would kind of compete with each other. You know, what's the most ridiculous oath you could make? I mean, it sounds like a game show. You know, ridiculous oath of the day. You know, and unless God was named... You really don't need to be conscientious about keeping it. As long as you don't get tricked into making an oath in God's name, man, you can lie your heart out. It's wicked. And so there's two central problems in this system. And the first one is improper circumstances. You see, anytime God swore an oath, it was about something really important. The Bible calls it a covenant. When God swore that he was going to take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, he swore an oath. When he swore to Abraham that he was going to make him a blessing to many nations, he swore an oath. The the vows were for special occasions. And in their day and age, they made vows for everything, and this led to a frivolous proliferation of insincere and untruthful vows. You could never tell when anyone was telling the truth. They were less than serious circumstances, and by proliferating all this frivolity, it actually devalued all the legitimate oaths. You know, Candy Brakefield. she comes up to me and she goes, I swear on my son's car. <laughs> you know, so I sit there and I go, Candy's a pretty truthful person, but she just swore on Alex's car. She didn't swear in God's name. All right, is she telling me the truth or not? Don't know. She swore an oath, but it wasn't an oath in God's name. So what, what do I do? What do I do? Improper circumstances. Vows for everything. Truth in nothing. The second problem is misplaced emphasis. <clears throat> you see they were focused more on the technique than they were on truthfulness. But did you did you vow in God's name? No. Don't worry about it. It's messed up. More concerned about the technique, what did who did you what what name did you make the vow in? Not concerned at all about truthfulness. It's okay to lie just as long as you don't name God. And here is the problem. We do this every day. We do this every day. Whatever you don't like about what the Bible says, here's here's what you do, okay? You would never be brave enough to take your scissors and cut that verse out. You would never be brave enough to take that black magic marker and scratch out the parts that you don't like. But you will do this. Instead of asking God for the power to live up to his standard, you will bring it down to wherever it is convenient for you. And so God is saying, vows and oaths are okay. Just be truthful. And instead of saying truthfulness is the standard, they created this weird, funky system of false vows and ways to get out of truth-telling and kind of still appear righteous. Fortunately, Jesus offers two essential solutions to this whole problem of truth-telling. And the first one is great. Uh, Because basically he says that every promise we ever make is ultimately in God's name. Every every promise that comes out of your mouth, there is never a promise that comes out of your mouth that is not made in his presence. There is no promise without his presence. No promise without his presence. Now you saw these examples um, in the Old Testament. People were swearing by heaven. He says, "Um, yeah, you didn't swear in God's name technically, but isn't heaven God's dwelling place? You're swearing in God's name. Well, we swore by earth. Yeah, you might not have sworn in God's name, but isn't the earth God's footstool? You swore by Jerusalem. Isn't Jerusalem God's holy city? You swore by your head. You don't have any power over your head to make your hair black or white. Guess who does? God does. Everything you could ever possibly swear by stands in some relationship to our sovereign God. He says, you cannot make a promise without invoking God's presence. So at this very moment, where is God? there he's everywhere you can't say anything that is not in god's presence your husband might not hear you (laughs) what'd you say oh nothing dear god can hear your mumbling he hears what you say and so listen (laughs) marcy's on uh she's chaperoning the youth trip this weekend No small degree of consternation from a preteen to have your parent on the trip. Um, You know why? You can't get away with stuff when mom and dad are on the trip. And there's something about knowing about God's presence that makes it easier for us to maintain our integrity. If everything you said you knew went from your mouth to the ear of God, would it help you just a little bit? You see, we know this. We don't know it. You don't do anything without God hearing. Number two, he says this, and man, this is kind of where the rubber hits the road. All Christian speech, which doesn't mean like what you talk about on Sunday morning, all speech that comes out of a Christian's mouth, every word should be inherently oath-laden and transparently honest. What good does it do to be a Christian and not be a man or a woman of your word? Jesus is in eradicating oaths. He's simply saying, you know, when you swear in my name, it's important things like marriage. I vow before God and these witnesses. It always kills me. You know, you go to a courtroom. <clears throat> you put your hand on the Bible. And I'm just, I'm not a big fan of like wasting time. And so, you swear to tell the truth? Put the period there. What do they do? They have to go on. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Isn't that the truth? Why do we need modifiers to describe what kind of truth we're talking about? Yeah, I'm going to tell the truth, but not the whole truth. Then it's not the truth! So we, we even in our court of law, we have to like, tell people what we mean by the truth. Will you tell the truth? the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's truth. I figured that out with the first part of the sentence, telling the truth. And so he's saying, guys, we should tell the truth. He's eliminating untruthful, uncalled for, intentionally deceptive oaths. So when Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm not crazy about these oaths at all. He says that in verse 34. I tell you, don't take up no oath at all. He's not talking about, you know what? If you took wedding vows, you're a sinner. If you've ever had to give testimony in a court, you've been disobedient. If you've ever said the Pledge of Allegiance, you're messed up. Now, when he says don't take an oath, then he goes into swearing by heaven or swearing by earth or swearing by your head or swearing by truth. He's saying don't make false promises. And his point is it's not just our oaths that need to be truthful, but all of our conversation. Disciples should never need to prove the truthfulness of what they say. Never. You see, here's what's bad. Again, Christians should know this, and Dr. Seuss gets it better than we do. Anybody know Horton? He's right here. Take a peek. Horton's an elephant. And he says this, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful, truthful, honest, 100%. If a kid can get this from a Dr. Seuss novel... Can we not hear this from the lips of our Lord and say, I exaggerate. Forgive me. Yeah, the fish was this big. Yeah, the marathon took me two days. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I had French fries with my lunch on Friday. Um, uh, Yeah, I didn't do my exercise while you were gone on the youth trip, wife. You know, I, I, think it's, I think it's terribly interesting that I'm preaching a sermon on having to tell the truth when I have to explain to my wife today how my son broke his like. So, um, pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the question. Where, where is the gospel in all of this? Because basically, I've just said, y'all are dirty, rotten liars, and I am too. You feel good? Anybody going, I'm not a liar. Never told a lie. Me and George Washington. Where's the gospel? Number one, it's this. You know what you need to do this morning? You need to admit you're a liar. The Bible says, come clean. You know what? God already knows it. I tell people this. People don't like to come and talk about discipleship issues, relationship issues. I go, listen, I've already got the most important thing figured out about you. You are a sinner. You are not going to tell me anything about how messed up your marriage is that I don't already know. Now, I may not know the details, but you're a sinner. So you're not going to surprise me. It's just filling in the details of what the Bible already says about you. And you know, what? I'm a sinner too. So you know, what? that makes it easy for me to understand what you're going through. Don't be freaked out about coming clean, because you know what? God already knows it. It says that before the word even leaves the tip of your tongue, He knows what you're going to say. You know why? It says the Bible says what comes out of our lips comes from where? He knows your heart. So why do we not admit that we're a liar? Because we want to look cooler. We want to look better. We want to impress our friends. Well, you know what? Your friends will figure it out too. They'll figure out you haven't told them the truth. The only one that doesn't know that you're a liar is you. Your wife knows it. Your kids know it. Your friends and co-workers know it. God knows it. So admit it. Number two, where's the gospel? Man, asking the Spirit to give you the strength to work hard truthfulness in every circumstance. So when Chris Hefner tells his fishing stories, since he's a disciple, he's got to tell the truth. He's got to throw that minnow back. That means, you know, I'm not going there. Well, uh, I'm not going to mention the name. When somebody talks about, yeah, this is my natural hair color. Um, no, no. No truthfulness in all things, no white lies, no over-exaggerations, no shading the story in a particular way to manipulate something. Anybody here have a problem saying, I don't know? Yeah, I don't know that. Don't have a clue. Why do you say that? You're lying about how smart you are. You want to look smarter. So say, I don't know. You know what the problem is when it comes to church and truth-telling is everybody comes to church and makes it look like everything is hunky-dory. My life is great and I smell like roses when I get up out of bed. See, like, part of my deal, I get to come and say how, like, messed up my morning was. It's liberating. (laughs) It's great. I got got problems just like everybody else. I got bills to pay. I got a wife and kids that I love, but sometimes I'm a jerk and they got to deal with me, you know? I mean, stuff like that happens. And we come to church and we make it look like we got no problems at all. My marriage is great. My kids are perfect. I got the best job in the world. It's not really the way that it is, is it? We don't tell the truth because we don't, we're not honest about our struggles. When somebody thinks about you, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Westing, he's a man of his word. When he says it, you know it's true. Do you swear to your own hurt? I mean, do you make a promise to somebody? And then when things get really bad, you go, hey, listen, I hate to renege, but... But what? Your word's not important enough for you to keep? It's going to cost you extra? It's going to take you longer time? It's going to be disadvantageous for you? Do you promise to your own heart? Number three, where's the gospel? Admit you're a liar. Ask for the Spirit to help you work hard at truthfulness. And then number three, tell the capital T truth. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Proclaim the gospel. Listen, friends, what do we believe? What do we believe about a person outside of Christ? What's their destiny? The Bible uses a four-letter word, H-E, double hockey sticks. If you don't tell the truth to a person who doesn't know Christ, what are you doing to them? You are lying to them and telling them that they're okay. Do you believe it? Because if you believe it enough, you'll be compelled to tell the truth. This week, as we go into vacation Bible school, We've got a great theme verse here. 1 Peter 3.15 Honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. When are they supposed to be ready? Whenever. When someone comes up and asks them a question they need to be ready. Not when they think they're ready. Not when they want to be ready. Hey, you know what? I do that ready stuff from 9 to 12 on Sunday so ask me questions while I'm at church but... No, you're supposed to be ready forever. Our hope this week is that our kids don't just learn that truthfulness is important, but telling the truth is important. Not that they just learn Bible verses, but that they learn to share Christ. Listen to the things that they'll be talking about. Was Jesus really God? You want your kids to hear that? Yes. Was he more than a good man? Yes, he was a good man, but he was so much more than that. Did he really die? Is this just a story or is this true? Did he really rise again? What do I do about it if this is really true? See, it's, it's odd to me that we want to be people who tell the truth. And then the last thing on our mind is actually talking to someone else about the most ultimate truth in the world. That Jesus is the sinless and unique son of man, son of God, who lived a sinless life, on our behalf and died our death, that by faith in his name we may have new life and our sins might be forgiven. What a joy it is to tell the truth, to not live like we don't believe it. So here's the issue. God says to us this morning, total, absolute, complete, not watered down at all truthfulness Is a standard for every word that comes out of our mouth. Wow. We painted our kids' room this week, uh, our boys', and it was a surprise birthday party kind of thing. And we wanted to really keep them out. And so um, they smelled the paint. So you know what we told them? There's a really dangerous gas leak in your bedroom. Don't go in there. (laughs) You know what I'm struggling with this morning? Have I taught my kids it's okay to lie for a good purpose? No, I'm not, I'm not wrestling with it maybe the way that I should. But I, I, I just told my kids an untruth. And they know it was an untruth. They knew something was going on. I was fibbing. But you know what? I at least need to have the integrity to ask the question, what kind of example am I setting? You know? Because the standard is complete truthfulness. So friends, here's the issue. How are you going to do that? You can put an electroshock device on you, you know, put a thing on your ring, and every time you, you know, say something that's halfway wrong, you get buzzed, you know? You can have an accountability partner that you can lie to. Have you told the truth this week? The whole truth, nothing but the truth. You can lie to your accountability partner. What hope do you have for telling the truth? You have the same hope I have. It's the work of Christ, who doesn't just save you, he changes you. And that's what we want. So this morning, instead of having to plan tomorrow to keep up the lie that you told yesterday, Well, you just come clean before God? Because he stands ready to forgive and to change. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a truth-telling God. We thank you for loving us. And God, we need to be reminded that um, your work on the cross was at least partially because we are liars. It's more than that. We are sinners. But one of the ways that we sin is we don't tell the truth. God, we've seen that kids lie to parents. Uh, I've admitted that parents lie to kids. Husbands lie to wives and wives to... We lie to employers And you tell us, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. God, we pray that you will work in our lives that that might be true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.